Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code, the management consultancy for what happens next. For more information, you can visit heroncode.com. In this podcast, we will be talking to female leaders of today to inspire the leaders of tomorrow. Today in the Heron Co. studio, we are joined by Sarah Abudawood. Sarah is the Saudi-born female founder, CEO, and designer of the Dubai-based brand Yatagan. Yatagan was born from pure need and has been pioneering both in design innovation and paving the way for future generations. Yatagan has been worn by the likes of Lady Gaga, Jennifer Lopez, and Billie Eilish, to name but a few. Major brands spend so much time on brand identity, and I think it really starts with self-identity. I do think it's vital to have education, but I think that life experiences and putting yourself out there and networking and getting in the rat race and getting into the grind of things and allowing yourself to fail is really important. Yetagan was the first brand in Saudi that shifted jewelry retail from brick and mortar to online, and that was huge. What becomes important then is to let your passion and performance become the ultimate driver to finding yourself and finding what you ultimately love to do. Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code. Welcome, Sara. Thank you. I'm excited to share my story today. And no, and we're excited to hear it. I mean, I've read so much about you and I think reading is one thing, but also being in the energy of someone whose energy is just so wonderful is fantastic. So I guess I would like to start off the episode with asking you a very loaded, intense question, which is who is Sara Abadawood? Who are you? What is your role? What do you bring to the table? So this is a loaded question. I feel like the more time I spend on this journey and the more wisdom I kind of accumulate, it becomes harder to answer a question like this. It becomes more challenging because you think at the beginning of the journey, you know who you are. But then if you're lucky, life will throw curveballs at you, which will challenge you to reexamine those strongly held views about yourself. And I just feel like in that journey of self-discovery, I've found out that design and creativity are kind of my bright windows into the world. I'm an introvert, so I find it very difficult to kind of connect with the world around me. So that's kind of my bridge to the world. I feel that major brands spend so much time on brand identity, and I think it really starts with self-identity. When you start on the inside and from your core, the only way is out. And in hindsight, you recognize that these answers that we seek are usually within us. So I think it's really important to start within. So at grassroots, to answer your question, I am a highly resilient, extremely patient person because I feel that through my journey, I've learned that slowly is the fastest way to get to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And I think with comfort now, I can say that I'm both consistent and persistent, which I wasn't able to say before. So I'm very privileged to be here today and to be a woman and a Saudi woman, especially. But most of all, I'm a very proud mother. Oh, that is so beautiful. And we'll absolutely get to that, you know, especially where you are today in your journey, in your life, in your path. And I think what you said was so relatable. I mean, so many of us, even when you were just speaking, I was like, me too, me too. I'm an introvert as well. I feel this way as well. And it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. There is absolutely no set path. And like you said, 
things come, curveballs come. And how did you deal with those curveballs? Because, I mean, as a personality who's quite an introvert, you know, to take that on is quite challenging, right? Yeah, it is very. I think with challenges, you just have to figure it out as it comes. There is no map to kind of circumvent or there is no taking the shortcut It's just one of those things that you have to be malleable and flexible to really kind of find your way. You know, with COVID, for instance, we had to flex muscles that we never flexed before. I take it with a lot of patience and I really try to then kind of go inwards and lean on the strengths that I have, like the skills or the gifts that I even worked really hard to obtain. I did a lot of courses on the side, like there's so much help that I continuously try to get, whether from my leader peers or from my team. So I'm constantly searching and looking for these answers from the world around me. But I notice that a lot of the time in that moment of challenge, in the moment where you really have to get over a certain obstacle, it really comes from within, from leaning on those strengths that you have. Because if you didn't, you probably wouldn't be a leader to begin with. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, you were incredibly, I guess, gifted to be able to be on the path that you're on now. And I'm sure it takes some time, like for most of us to find out who you really are and what, what your calling is as essentially. But when you were younger, did you have a uh, a dream of any kind? Like, I want to be a ballerina one day. I want to be a football player. Was there anything in mind? Absolutely. I think to me, that's a question of inspiration, like how it kind of all started. And to answer that question, I would like to divide it kind of in two sections, because one section is kind of the business acumen that I have today. And then the other is why am I in this sector? And why do I do what I do? So to answer the part of the business acumen, I think It would be fair to say that I grew up in a home with fantastic women. My aunts were in the educational sector. They were in the business sector for over 40 years and until today. So I had the privilege to have female role models basically in around the house. But I think my work ethic comes from my father. He set an exemplary standard in the house. He never made me feel that I was any less than the boys. He was very adamant on me kind of going out and experiencing the world and making mistakes. You know, I wanted to sign up to every single course and he was the first one to sign me up. So I think I get my business ethics from him. But in terms of inspiration, as far back as I can remember, I was stringing macaroni into necklaces and bracelets <laughs> in the kitchen with my mother kind of baking in the periphery, my late mother. <laughs> And she just exuded beauty and positivity. And that's my memory of her decked out in her jewels every day whilst baking, whilst, you know, roaming around the house. So in a way, yet again, and what I've built is an homage to everything beautiful that she was. So even at such a young age, I kind of knew that I wanted to do something creative and to do with design. But I also dabbled with leadership. So I was a Girl Scout for eight years at the age of nine. And I remember one of my superiors said, I think you're going to be a natural born leader. And so that was another like kind of snippet or screenshot that I kind of kept, you know, way back in the crevices of my mind. And that just kind of stays with you in a way. Mm. Let's talk about being a creative soul, because I can completely resonate with that, you know, but growing up, society, cultures were quite against the creative industries. Mm -hmm. uh, it was very doctor, lawyer, going to finance, actual profession. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, I absolutely love and adore how we've embraced the creative industry and made it a norm. But was that a challenge that you had? I mean, you had such a great supportive family, but society as a whole, the structure 
structures around you, the education system. How was that for you? Absolutely. I think in the beginning, I faced a lot of belittlement. That was the word that I would say. I was very belittled to what I was trying to do. It was like, oh, are you going to open like a corner shop or like a mom and pop shop? There wasn't any word to say company or enterprise to be associated with what I was trying to do. And unfortunately, in the beginning, when you start your journey, that's when your vulnerability is heightened. And unfortunately for me, that's when the weight of what people were saying around me affected me the most. So that was a really difficult time. So what I had to do, I had no choice but to kind of go inwards and then kind of quiet out these external voices and amplify the internal voices that I had, you know, the conviction that I had, even if it was a sliver of conviction hanging in the balance, it was still something I was trying to hold on to just to kind of make it through because failure was not an option for me back then. I was the first girl in my family, in my generation to start a business. So I was trying to be a role model for my cousins and for my younger siblings. I was trying to make my dad proud. I was trying to, you know, I thought if I could be a better friend, a better, you know, daughter, having good grades, that would kind of shield me from the internal struggles I was going through because on the outside, it would just seem like she's so put together and, you know, everything looks perfect, right? Mm -hmm. Air quotes. So interestingly enough, that kind of internal struggle I was going through with the loss of my mom, with people not understanding what I was doing, I kind of tried to compensate with overachievement it kind of catapulted me to doing what I do now and working as hard as I do. That was always kind of my inner working mechanism to kind of get around that kind of, not backlash, but that kind of negative talk around what I was trying to do and mm. putting my heart and soul into. That takes so much uh, resilience and resistance against the negativity. Is there a standout moment in your career where you have uh, experienced negativity, words, actions, whatever it may be, and you've really had to pick yourself back up. I mean, it's great that you had the support around you in terms of family and friends, but I'm aware that a lot of people may not have that. What do they need to do? And you said you went inwards. Is there yeah. any particular tools you use to do that? I'm going to answer this question just slightly before I started yet again, because I think a lot of women go through something very similar. So I think this can be helpful. When I moved to London and my only son was diagnosed with autism, that was, you know, another life altering moment, just like when my mother passed. So there mm -hmm. are these big moments that really define you and you have to decide whether you want to sink or swim. And at that time, I was defending my MPhil because I was doing a PhD in microfinance at the University of London. And I remember writing down 35,000 words, going up to my director on the day where I was supposed to defend it. And I said, actually, this just doesn't feel right. And he just looked at me and he said, but you wrote 35,000 words. And I said, but it doesn't feel right. In my heart, in my gut, I knew that academia wasn't for me. And so at that moment, I knew that I had to pivot. And I think pivoting has been a tool that has been vital and paramount for uh, the success that I have today. That was one of the moments where I just felt like I had to choose me. Mm. I just had to shut out, you know, everybody around me saying, oh, you quit your MPhil or you're not going to do that because I'd never quit anything before. But I just had to, at that vulnerable moment, look at it in a way and change my perception of quitting and actually just take it in as a pivot. Mm -hmm. And it was the most important thing I ever did. And that gut instinct that you talk about is so important, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether, you know, you're working at the grocery store, it doesn't matter what you do. That, yeah. that gut instinct, that feeling 
Have you always trusted it? I think one of my biggest learnings is that I've learned to trust it. I think it was always there. I mean, as a child, I told you, like, you know, doing macaroni in the kitchen and, you know, turning it into jewelry. So something was, you know, bursting at the seams even then, but I just couldn't put two and two together. And I tried so many other things. I mean, I'm also an architectural photographer, which I still love till today, but I knew that I didn't love it enough to have it as, you know, my main work. Mm -hmm. So then I just kind of had to follow my gut and to find yourself. I think the internal conversations that you have with yourself are the most important ones. I think it's very important as leaders to have peers that are in leadership, to be able to give you the caliber and tangible advice that you're seeking at the time. But I think it's very important to have the internal conversations with yourself. And as time passes, I realize that most answers are within me. And a lot of the time it was fear that was stopping me on capitalizing on those strengths that I had. So my advice would be is to start on the inside and go out because you're going to save yourself a lot of time. Mm. Um, We have this gut for a reason, you know, it's gut brain. Mm -hmm. And so the longer I am doing this, the more I just feel that it's the right way to go, I find it to be a lot more beneficial to my growth, both personally and professionally. Mm. And I think it's so incredible that you took a stand for yourself. It was for yourself, no one else, the education, you know, the academia route may not have been for you. I feel like a lot of people are sitting there right now, like me too, absolutely, I'm there with you. And I feel like now we're in a world where it's not really necessary. There was a pressure back then, I feel that it doesn't matter, just get a degree, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, just get through college, whatever it may be, it doesn't matter. And then you'll figure it out later. But now the world is so big, and it's opened up so many opportunities. What would you advise to your kids in this day and age if they were to come to you and say, Mom, education, not for me? Ah, uh, this is a tough one to me. <laughs> I think that education is the backbone of anything that you would like to do. But I don't think that it's everything. I think you can learn a lot more traveling the world maybe than just, you know, sitting at home and, you know, doing homework or schoolwork. But I definitely am a big believer in school. I do think it's vital to have education, but I think that life experiences and putting yourself out there and networking and just, you know, getting in the rat race and getting into the grind of things and allowing yourself to fail is really important. I really struggled with my relationship with failure Um, So change for me was something that I had to learn, but I faced it with my mother's passing. It was one of my first moments that were face-to-face dealing with a life-altering change. But then failure was a more difficult relationship for me to manage because I didn't have that luxury, or at least I told myself. So that was an added pressure that I put onto myself. And I think once you change your perception of failure and you look at it in a way that is, it is an inevitable part of success you actually start to kind of befriend it. So failure and I are now like friends with like a bittersweet relationship, Uh, but we have learned to coexist. Beautiful. It sounds like a great relationship because you know what? It's got you to where you are today, uh, which we're very, very thankful for. Um, So let's talk about Yatagan, shall we? Mm -hmm. Shall we go straight into it? I'd love to know where the switch happened. Mm -hmm. So you were a creative individual, you know, you knew what you wanted to do. At what point did you say, okay, I need my own brand and I I need to run my own business? I think it started from a personal need. 
I love gifting people. I'm a Leo. So mm-hmm. I love to just be generous with my friends. And I started noticing that every time I wanted to gift someone, and it would always be jewelry, mm-hmm. that I would never find what represented me or my friend in the market. So I started doing customization. And then my friends were like, this is awesome. Why don't you actually start this and make a business out of it? So it wasn't actually me. It was I needed kind of maybe that validation. Maybe on a gut level somewhere I knew it was me, mm-hmm. but I kind of needed that validation. And that's kind of how it started like in terms of the business. Wow. So you did have the support of your friends and everyone behind you encouraging yeah, absolutely. you. Absolutely. Uh, I agree. Sometimes you do need that boost, but it does. It, surely you sat there and you were like, I'm good. You had that self-confidence as well, right? I think I have good taste in jewelry. And that <laughs> goes back to my mother. I mean, she wore just the best jewelry. So I opened my eyes looking at beautiful creations. And it was at that point, going back to the kitchen when my mother was baking, was when I remember that moment, I decided that I wanted to be in the business of creating beauty. Because that is the way I connect to the world. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how Yatagan started. So it's kind of a reflection of you. It is a kind of element of you that you are putting out there to the world. And so talk to me about when you launched Yatagan. We've spoken about fear. We've spoken about, you know, doubting ourselves at the best of times. How, How was that period for you? When I first started Yategan in 2008, back then, the jewelry sector was predominantly, you know, male dominated. So I didn't have role models that were easily accessible to me. You know, social media is a game changer in being able to access the information and the wisdom of, you know, people who have preceded you doing this. And so that was a real challenge. So it forced me to kind of find my own way. It forced me to flex certain muscles I didn't even know I had. It is very scary to start a business, and it's very scary when it's in a society and an environment where this hasn't happened before you. So Yatagan was the first brand in Saudi that kind of shifted uh, jewelry retail from brick and mortar to online, Um, and that was huge. And people were just so astonished, like, how are we going to buy jewelry online without seeing it? So not only having them actually transact the sale, but just changing the mindset. That was a real struggle. But that's obviously what I was most excited about, because you can only sell what you truly love. And Mm -hmm. I'm a person that loves jewelry. I love seeing my clients happy. I love that they allow me into their lives to share these moments and milestones choosing Yatagan jewelry to celebrate these, you know, milestones of their lives. So I never take that for granted. I'm very, very privileged Mm -hmm. to have that. So now being a leader, being an entrepreneur, but on top of that, being a woman, Mm -hmm. being in rooms that potentially you may not have been welcome in, may have been welcome in. How was that for you? How did that feel? And what were the challenges you faced as a woman? Firstly, it was unheard of back then that girls were opening up like their own businesses, let alone in jewelry. So I was definitely one of the first women on the scene. But I think as women, we add pressures onto ourselves besides the pressures that society puts onto us. So I think that there will always be kind of a higher expectation when a woman assumes a role that usually men would take over. And it is crucial then to kind of have the internal conversations that I was talking about and follow your gut and follow, you know, your intuition and kind of capitalize on the skills that you worked really hard to obtain because it takes time to develop these skills. And it's really important to kind of quiet down the stigma and the stereotypical, you know, preconceived notions about women because what becomes important then is to let your passion and performance become the ultimate driver to finding yourself and finding what you ultimately love to do. 
And let's talk about the stigmas, I guess, that women women face. Uh, in particular, I know that naturally, you know, it's just assumed that women are extra emotional, no matter what uh, space they are in. But when it comes to business, uh, and you you will be the best to tell me this, we are able to put emotion aside when it comes to business. Yes, yes we are, especially when we're passionate and laser focused on what we want to do. I think this falls under the category of kind of letting go of the stigma, right? So I think that we are natural born leaders. I mean, we are biologically inclined to be mothers if we choose to do so and when we can. And so we kind of have it in us innately to be leaders. And I think we just have to, again, go inwards and capitalize on that instead of kind of making these outwardly voices so much louder than the ones we actually have Mm -hmm. internally. And have you ever had an experience that you can share with us where, uh, you know, you were forced to make your stand as a woman? Did you ever feel you were unheard in the business entrepreneur space? Not really. I mean, I think Saudi is uh, looked upon in a very different way than it actually is in many regards. So I was very lucky to be one of the first in a way. So I also like to look at things from a positive perspective. There was never like opposition. It was just so new to everybody that it just took double the time. So I think there is an expectation for women to work twice as hard, be twice as good, you know, be twice as efficient to kind of earn their seat at the table. But we've earned our seat. And I think it's important for us to tell ourselves when we get there that we deserve to be here because we've done the work. Mm -hmm. So in your opinion, do you think it was harder to maintain a seat at the table or to get that seat in the first place? I think that what gets you there won't keep you going. So I think to get a seat at the table, you have to have, you know, a good idea. You have to have passion for what you're doing. But to actually stay, you have to do the work. You have to show up every day at 110%, be persistent, be consistent, Uh, you know, whilst being extremely patient, you have to have good networking skills. I think endurance is a huge part of it. I think people underestimate how much it takes to stay at the table. And I've been doing it for 15 years. And I can tell you every couple of years, I'm needing to kind of find new skills to keep me at the table. Because it can get quite challenging, quite monotonous. You're looking for kind of new ideas to keep you stimulated, even internally, not just externally. You have to keep upping your product. You have to keep, you know, with the technology. You, know, you really need to be on top of everything. So I think getting there is much easier than actually staying there. Mm. So what do you think it is? You think it's a combination of hard work, luck, right place, right time, what is, what is success to you? How would you define it? I think that we always need a little bit of you know luck. You need a sprinkle of luck to kind of just make it. But it really is hard work. There is no trait that you can have as a leader that will compensate for the hard work that you have to put in. It really is not that fancy. You really just have to show up every day at the table, put 110% and just be very consistent. That's why I think creativity is important and you know knowledge is important. But sometimes, and in very major milestones of my journey, I even noticed that it wasn't even what I knew. It was who I knew. So you really have to be open and be a really good listener. You know, I always tell uh, my friends, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And, you know, we women, we love to talk and we have wonderful (laughs) things to say. But I think that in leadership, particularly listening 
can be one of the most rewarding things, whether from your team or from your peers or from your clients. I found that to be one of the greatest skills I've had to work on over the last few years. That was very beneficial for me. And that was not an easy lesson to learn. Mm. And do you think, I mean, I think women generally have a higher empathy as a personality, quality, human trait. Do you think that's a strength in being a woman in leadership? A hundred percent. I think that I'm a very emotional person. I'm sure you can tell. (laughs) I lead with passion. The one comment I get from every partner or business partner that I meet with is the energy. And that was the first comment you made today. Mm -hmm. So I try to exude that energy. And that's where my passion comes from. That's where my designs come from. And then in turn, people are able to associate with my jewelry and be able to see it as an extension of me, which is my purpose to begin with. And let's talk about purpose and community. I mean, community Mm -hmm. is so important to you, serving your people, serving men and and women in, I guess, an expression of you. What is this community that you've built and how do you hope for it to even evolve and grow even further? So Yatigan was just selected as one of the top 100 Saudi brands. And it is exactly that that we're trying to build through this initiative. It's building a design community because it's something we never had. So we're trying to write the design narrative in the country. But in terms of Yatigan, to me, As I was telling you, uh, social media wasn't prevalent in the beginning of my journey. But right now that we have, you know, social media as a platform, to have platforms such as this one, this, I think, bears more of a responsibility on people like me that have been through this journey for over a decade. And for me to share that wisdom and to share the experiences, I think that is really why I do what I do. So I've created a division called YJ Lab or Yatagan Lab. And basically what we do under this umbrella is we take on up and coming designers and we hold their hand at the beginning of the journey. Because when I started my journey, I didn't have someone in my industry to hold my hand. So that's very sensitive for me. And so I felt like if I could be in that moment where vulnerability is heightened and fear is so prevalent, to hold their hands and, you know, guide them through the design process and guide them through manufacturing and packaging and even manage them emotionally. That's one of the hardest things that I think people just don't take into account when you're starting a business. That's really difficult. So to me, that's the biggest way for me to share my learnings in the community. The mental health side of business isn't spoken about enough. You're absolutely right. And I think conversations like this are very, very important. Business is hard. Being a leader is hard. Entrepreneurship is hard. It's a fancy word that we relate to Mark Zuckerberg, to, you know, your Elon Musks of the world. But there's real life entrepreneurs where everyday life is really, really tough. And so how do you separate your personal from your professional? You know, you're you're a mum and that I'm sure takes up so much of your time. This balance that is such a highlight and spotlight on women. I think this question is probably the dearest to my heart today, because I think this is the subject that women deal with and struggle with on a daily basis. It really is trying to find the balance between having to wear so many hats during the course of a day, you know, for those of us who choose to be mothers and then entrepreneurs or employees or family members wanting to also be members of society. I find that to be the biggest struggle for me. And I think on top of that, we also have individuals that are dealing with mental health issues. And I just wanted to address it today because I think it's not addressed enough. I think mental health issues are like a silent pain that for me, for instance, I get to deal with it by creating beauty and sharing that beauty with the world and seeing smiles, you know, beaming across my clients' faces 
But I think it's something that we need to talk about more to kind of not make people feel that they're, you know, so different or that it's not okay to talk about these things. Because once you harness that, you might actually realize that this is a strength that can be harnessed and actually create something beautiful out of it. Mm. No, I'm so glad you you actually shared that. And I'm hoping that the listeners, and I'm sure they will benefit so much from that. So thank you. You know, Sarah, if there was a, this is your life reel in front of you right now, you know, just of your career, just purely professional, what would be the ultimate highlight? Is there a moment that you sit back and, you know, you realize like, that was me, I did that. Has there, has there been a standout moment so far? Oh, that's a, that's a question. I was just one of the first Saudi designers ever to go and exhibit at the Couture Show in Las Vegas, which is one of the biggest jewelry shows in the world. And I was in the main salon. So in my sector, it is kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. So that was a moment that I kind of forced myself to take a step back because I'm not very good at that. I always actually underestimate myself. So that was a moment for me that happened just very recently, last June. And I took a moment and I said, you know, well done. You know, you got here. Who knows what doors this will open? You know, we're exhibiting in Milan Fashion Week in a couple of weeks. So I'm excited to see where Yatagan goes. I think the sky is the limit only because I do work very hard. I work all the time. My clients are so invested in the brand. They literally stop me on the streets in London, in Paris. And they're like, oh my God, I haven't taken off my necklace for five years. Like the <sighs> amount of positive energy that I get from wearing your pieces, you know, thank you. So that means a lot to me. Mm. And I never take it for granted. Well, you know, I have absolutely no doubt that you are going to go ahead and achieve everything that you so wish for. Uh, your positivity, your advice that you've given our listeners has just been absolutely beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing your journey with us here on the Heron Co. podcast. You are most, most welcome. Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code.